0: This was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets.
1: So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work.
0: I feel like we got top, top, top.
1: I went from a sale of, you know, $500,000 to in debt.
0: $192 million. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. So you are looking to sell your business? My guess is you're actually not. My guess is that you'd like to know that you could sell your business... Down the road, but right now you're busy building it. And if that's the case, standard operating procedures can be your secret sauce. These are the documents that you need to show your employees how to do their work. And we've just developed a new ebook. You can get it at slash SOP. Have you ever been to one of those team building events where they bring in a chef and you learn to cook a meal together? My next guest built a business doing exactly that, Cheeky Food Advents, based in Sydney, Australia. Great business. And Leona Watson built it up to $3 million in revenue when she had a bit of a soul-searching moment and decided through a sequence of events, which she'll tell you about, it was time to sell. There's lots of interesting information in this episode. You know, it made me a little squeamish because I could see myself doing this at times when Leona described how we sabotage ourselves and undermine our employees at times. And I think she does a great job and real candor talking about how she did that and continues to do that in some cases and has learned from that. She talks a lot about the process of parting ways with her company psychologically and how easy it was for her to negotiate the sale once she had done that here to tell you her entire story is leona watson leona watson welcome to built to sell radio
1: hello hello from sydney
0: yeah, it's like early in the morning where you are. Which we were talking <laughs> offline. I can't believe how perky you are for five o'clock in the morning. I wish I was <laughs> that perky at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, well, just to get you. up
1: early enough, put some on, it and <laughs> just get going.
0: That's it. Yeah, I guess it's coffee, maybe, or I don't know. Um, I want to hear about cheeky foods. What on earth did you guys do with the name like cheeky foods?
1: <laughs> yeah, we sort of got into a little bit of trouble when we, <laughs> especially in the States. Um, so when I first started, that was back in 2002, like the, the concept of t- uh, cooking as a team building activity just didn't exist anywhere in the world. And when I first started, there was myself and two other, two chefs, and I was sort of the, the marketing business side of the business. But I wanted to present and anyway, we started this business where we would be doing cooking classes I guess but would sell it as a team building concept now that today is like it's everywhere everyone's doing it everyone's doing it. but back then it was zero Google didn't even exist back then like this is you know you just couldn't you know find anything so so 2002 yep yeah, cheeky food events and so it, it sort of morphed in and and at first it was very much just cooking classes that we sold to corporates but then I kind of ended up buying out the other business partners, and then I sort of changed it more into being about, like, you know, we'd go to a conference and we'd have literally two, three hundred people at the Hilton ballroom cooking together at the same time. Like, I owned five hundred knives, and the, they'd walk in the room and it would be like, "Boom, boom!" The music would be pumping, and they'd be everyone's going, whoa. We got to cook our own dinner. And I go, yeah, you're it. You're the celebrity chefs. And and what we bring in the company objectives and the behavior changes that they're looking for. So the cooking was the vehicle really to bring people together. It was never about the food.
0: That's cool. Not- Did you get hired by the brand, like Telstra or whatever, yeah. you know, the company, or was it the event organizer who was trying to put on the event for both the brand? Both.
1: Primarily, okay. in all honesty, most of, uh, most of the events were probably direct with the corporates, um, mm-hmm. you know, all the same big names that you guys have got over there. And then uh, then there was also professional conference organisers who would then hire us. And, and then once they got to know us, then they would just put us into lots of different, you know, conferences. Or sometimes it might just be, uh, you know, a, a CEO or a small company, 10 people. They just say, hey, we just got to get out of the office. We've just, mm-hmm. We're drowning, we're exhausted, we just need a little pep up. And um, probably the reason why I can be perky at 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock in the morning. I, <laughs> it's because <laughs> I let it come. That was my job. That was my business. It's funny, a lot of people, you know, I remember, when, I remember being interviewed when I was in about year five and someone just said, how did all this start? And I just said, well, this is how I used to throw big, big lunches. You know, everyone would come around, 20, 15, 20 people. And we'd all end up pretty roaring drunk, but we'd all end up in my kitchen cooking together. Lunch would get served at 6 p.m. at night, but no one cared. And no one ever remembered the food, but everyone remembered how they felt. And that was was, the idea. And that was pretty. And that was what I then went on to create with this business. On some of them, like the largest one I did was like a thousand people.
0: Wow. And so a- you're doing the selling to these brands, mostly into some event yep. organizers, and then you're bringing in chefs on contract to help yep. you execute or? Yep. Yeah.
1: So at, at my largest, we I had, a, I had two full-time chefs, but sometimes we'd fly around, like a lot of the events would be held in Sydney, but sometimes we're in Cairns, we went to Fiji, New Zealand a few times, and we literally load onto the plane, <laughs> 400 knives and pots and pans and burners wow. and... Honestly, the logistics, the logistics of it, you'd wake up at, you know, the middle of the night. Did I pack the potato peelers? You know, I'm kind of go, oh, god. Yeah. So it was, um, that was an interesting thing. It was a foot to the floor on the sales and marketing because it wasn't necessarily something that people bought over and over again. So That's it wasn't a repeat thing. So that was constant. And then the operations were constant. Not, not a, probably not the cleverest business model when I think back, because there was no, there was no lever. That you could just lighten up on a little bit. You had to be constant.
0: Yeah. It sounds like a real mm-hmm. transactional business where you have to kind of remake every time. I, I just want to explore something you shared earlier, which is that you bought out your original partners. Can you describe mm-hmm. like what triggered that and how you guys sort of sorted out equity and how, how you kind of dealt with that?
1: Right. So um the <clears throat> the first one she, uh, basically for the first two years we were just playing in all honesty we didn't even know I was still doing marketing contracting we didn't really know if we had a product in my head that was commercial so after a year the first lady left um I think she just wanted to pursue different things just a couple of different th- ways that we were looking at stuff nothing nothing mm-hmm. major and then and then I said to the other partner, "So let's go." And he's like, "Oh, I don't know." And I said, no, "Let's just try changing it a bit. Like I think we just we're spreading ourselves too thin. We're trying to do lots of different things." And then we were quite. That was when we really took off. And 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 I hired a business coach within that time as well because I personally was throttling the business. That's another whole story. But then we got to a point where you know I really wanted to to go in one direction, and we were just everything was fine, but just wanted to look at things in different ways. And so. We started the process. I said, well, do you want me to buy you up? And that was pretty much how it started. And then it was, I'll tell you what was tricky, though. We did not have, uh, we did not have a shareholder's agreement. (laughs) You're Uh, one of those. I'm one of those. It was on the to-do list when we first started and then we got busy and then it just, uh, uh, oh anytime I talk with anyone thinking about going to business before you get a laptop, get yourself a shareholder's agreement, even if it's with yourself, you know? So So
0: how did you stick handle around that? What was, so so tell me that story.
1: It look, it was not easy. It was what started out as being a very amicable, let's chat, let's work this through, did not become that. And it was unnecessary. If we'd had that shareholder's agreement, we wouldn't have been getting into this icky place where you know, they were wanting X amount. I'm like, that just doesn't even relate to how much we've been turning over, let alone earning. And and anyway, we came to a point, my decision was if I buy them out now, I'm ready to go tomorrow. I've got the vehicles, I've got the staff, I've got the operations, I've got the infrastructure, got all my Google stuff, which I was all over. And that was, that was what I decided to do. So I paid a bit of a premium in order to be able to, to do that.
0: That was what I did. Uh, and so what multiple of, how were you valuing the business for the purposes of exiting? Was it on a multiple of earnings or a multiple of revenue? And you're talking about it, now or back then? No, back then where that partnership. Oh, well, it, it, it,
1: really. it had nothing. That was the problem. It had nothing to do with multiples of. It was just a dollar figure that they had. Because and, and we where, didn't have did a shareholder no, Sorry? Did,
0: I was going to say, did you ever come to learn where that number in their head came from, like why that number was important to them?
1: Um, it was just a number as far as I could. That's what I needed to go. And I'm like, oh, so it yeah, it just did become tricky. And um, But great people, like, don't get me wrong. It's just that I'll tell you, get a shareholders agreement, get a yeah. shareholders
0: agreement. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are listening to this and saying I'm in the same boat I don't have one and I'm, I'm, you know, mm. at, at odds with my partner. I mean, how did, so they obviously had a much higher number in mind. You thought that's totally crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you get to a point of compromise? Like, did you, did you have um, a mediator? Did you, did you go back and forth a bunch of times? Like, what was yeah,
1: the- we had, look, we had a lawyer and oh, we both had, we both had lawyers we had the same accountant. So that wasn't, you know, particularly easy. But, you know, he sort of stopped the negotiations for me to get set up as a trust, so that when I could sell later, I wouldn't be hit with a lot of capital gains tax, just a tax thing in Australia. So that just sort of stopped things on a little bit of a roll. Uh, in the end, it boiled down to I just said, "This is what I will pay." It was less than what they were asking for, but more than what any relevant multiples would be, and I just made the decision that that's what that's what I would be prepared to pay but it was, it was it was the decision was that I was in business the next day with staff with the systems to just keep business turning over and the fact was was that because we changed a bit of the direction a little bit the business almost doubled in the next I'm sorry, no, we hit the GFC with the global financial crisis back in 2008, so we hit that for a little bit. But then the business just really took off, and I made the money back in like about nine months, the additional. So that's that's the decision you have to kind of make in in that at that point. What are you prepared to spend in order to have the life and the business that you want? And then what are yeah. you prepared to do above and beyond in order to claw that back? And I just worked my ass off. That was it.
0: You mentioned you mentioned sort of a relevant multiple. Like what multiple, and this can be up to present day. Would a company like that? I'm assuming it's a relatively modest multiple of profit or EBITDA mm. because it's transactional. There's no recurring revenue. So, did you have a sense of like what was a like a reasonable yeah, I multiple? Think,
1: look, look, all the industry things seem to be around that three to four for a sort okay. of what's, the, Times, what's basically a, yeah, what's basically a service based
0: business. Um, Yeah. And so you thought that was reasonable and there were somewhere else and yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's super helpful. So you got out of that. You mentioned there was a pivot to the business, which helped it accelerate after the GFC. What was the pivot?
1: I think there were two things was one was that I sort of because I made the decision, so I got a business coaching and I just said, "Get me out of being the center of the universe of this business." I created it; it was, you know, it was all to make me feel important and fabulous. That everything decision had to go through me, and all I was doing was just annoying the big jeepers out of my staff and throttling the growth of the business. So that was a that was a that was a an additional investment in the business, and within myself and my own leadership skills, which would pretty shaky at the best of times sometimes. Um, But also I just, you know, I just, I I invested in some new staff, uh, not new staff, some extra staff, and just kind of let them roll with things a little bit. And it got to the point where one year when I was at the peak, we would, we did about, was it 363 events in the one year? Mm. And, I remember once one of them said, oh, Leona, you're micromanaging. And I just said, well, we just did 360 events. I only knew about 25 of them. The rest of them were marketed, invoiced, you booked the chefs, booked venues, negotiated prices, bought the onions and all the meat, all that kind of stuff, got it delivered, did the referral program. And I didn't know anything about it. That is not micromanaging, but it was a perception. But it was interesting that but what I did was I kind of I tried to let go. I got an EA, actually. That was a big difference.
0: Executive assistant for folks who don't yeah, know it, executive that, assistant, uh, Yeah,
1: and afternoon. also I started staying at home in the morning. So this was an interesting thing. So I started exercising, which just as opposed to getting up and then just getting on my laptop and annoying everyone by they all came into work and there were seven or eight emails from Leona. At, it, oh, I can't, I just cringe when I think that. But anyway, and then <laughs> just kind of hang your head and go, Oh. Um, but also what happened was in order to try and not, I said to them all, I, you're all smart people. Stop coming to me with all the questions. Like I'm, I'm just making this stuff up as well. There's no manual on how to run this business. It's not like how, you know, here's how you basically, you know, run a hairdresser or a real estate agent. There's no manual. We're in the events industry. So everything we do is new and this business doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. So I'm making stuff up. You can make stuff up, you know, kind of thing. They're all smart. And so what I said was, you know, if you come to me with a question, come with at least two ideas what the answer might be and then tell me why you're not, which one you think is the best. And, of course, they were all scared for a little bit, and not scared but just hesitant. And and I'd go, see, you already had the right answer. You don't need to come and see me about that again. And I'd I'd dig down to see what their decision-making was behind it and so i started not coming into work until 11:30 12 and if you're not around people just make the decisions and keep things rolling
0: a lot of people listening
1: speed. was all about last, speed
0: a lot of people listening to this would say okay that's nicely lone but if if i didn't show up till 11:30 my employees would never like they they'd be late they would you know they would turn up late they would they would question my commitment to the business because if the boss shows up at noon, like what we're like, oh,
1: uh, they knew I was working, but they'd also know that I might work till midnight, so it did wasn't that you send that. It emails was
0: more- late in the evening just to prove you're
1: working. No, well, they oh, sometimes I'd be at an event and I wouldn't get home until one o'clock in the morning, you know, so it was a because I told them what I was doing, it wasn't just that. I said, this is me basically handing over the business to you guys. for. It was a sign of trust. And I think, you know, they're all there. I'm pretty sure they're all there. I could see emails and things happening. So, and, we, and there was no working from home back then. It was everyone in the office. You
0: know? Was it an iterative, like you're describing it as kind of ripping off a bandaid. Like you came to this point and you said, okay, I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to stay... At home until 11. I guess I'm wondering, was there a triggering event that made you make this change or was it more like sort of gradual evolutionary?
1: Oh, just thinking back. I think part of it was around the, the, the coaching mm-hmm. a little bit. Just what can you do? What, what, what can I actually do to, to show trust in the staff? That was a major one for me and i think it was a gradual i don't think there was one trigger but i also know myself you know so i was you know we were all in one big open plan area and we were starting to burst out of this space and we also had an area just on the other side of the wall it's supposed to be a soundproof wall but the door would just keep open up with chefs coming in we would actually be running some cooking parties so you'd hear people screaming and yelling and the music and ABBA and everyone's like, no, cooking's getting done, but a lot of dancing. And, you know, and that created a vibe and a buzz in, in our office. But also when I was there, I could also create a vibe and a buzz, but I could also be ridiculously distracting. You know, like I had, I had two staff around here from then, you know, um, last week, you know, when I got out of lockdown, I had some people in my home, yippee And, and they just used to lock me in the office you know this is towards the end they'd lock me in the office and just go we've got to get stuff done just stop distracting us now that was a great you know respect and genuine care and like for each other but i think there's a point in every entrepreneur and it's a, it's a tough point where you've got to just let go a little bit and for me i think that if i wasn't there then i couldn't overhear things because i wasn't in an office i was in an open plan space and it's so hard you hear someone saying something you hear a salesperson on the phone and then you just, you can't, you can't help but go and add the little sprinkle that you think's on top, which totally means that they just get deflated because you've taken away their decision, you've taken away what it was that they said or did, and all of a sudden that, that idea that they were discussing in the office that they were going to die on the sword for to execute, you've just made it your idea by saying, oh, and if we do this, 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 and then they just go, yeah, not interested because it's not their mm-hmm. idea anymore. So I started to recognize these traits with myself, which I'm still guilty of, i got to say. But I just, um, yeah, that was a major, that was a major the thing.
0: Physically being away helped. And then when you were interacting with people, you said, look, come to me, like I'm making it up. So you make it up, (laughs) make it up, Mm -hmm. come with two suggestions and then we'll, we'll talk about whether those are the right suggestions. Yeah. I love that. Some people are listening to this saying in particular, this sort of job environment where the labor market's really tight, employees have more power than they ever used Mm -hmm. to. They're jumping around at all different companies. Some people are saying, yeah, but as an owner, you know, employees want to learn from you, like employees want coaching, they want guidance, they want to learn from you. And and if they feel like they're stalling or not learning, they're going to go find a job somewhere else where they can learn. How did, like, did did you, I guess my question is, how did you remain hands-off, let them figure it out on their own, you make it up, and at the same time, provide them with sort of the coaching that they needed to get to the next level in their careers?
1: Well, they would still come to me for things. Like it wasn't mm. like it was, I was, you know, don't get me wrong. I was not hundred percent hands-off at all. I just wasn't around for two hours in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that's often when people are quite, you know, um, creative and active and they'll come in for, say if they start at nine, they'll come in, they'll stuff around for the first half an hour, talk about what they did last night. And then, and that's when most people are pretty productive. And so if I was out of their way, they just got stuff done. Um, but they were still around in the afternoon. We were, like, I involved them in every single recruitment. Like, our final, I re- had a pretty wild recruitment process, but the final step was they came, like, they came in and they sat down, they had a drink in the office with the staff. And I would just, I would sit them all around and i go, oh, look, you guys just start chatting. I'm just going to go over here. I'm just going to do something quickly on my, on my laptop. So I was out of earshot, but I wasn't in the group. And the person would think that they were pretty much in the bag because, you know, they're coming in and having a drink. And then they would just start asking, oh, where would you go on your holiday last time? And, and then the, the, the staff pretty much had the final decision on whether someone was a cheeky person or whether they weren't. There was The brand <laughs> culture was pretty strong. And even the chefs who were contractors, all of a sudden I'd say, what happened to Harry, that guy who came to us from blah, 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 blah? Nah, not a cheeky chef. i like, oh, okay. So they were actually self-selecting some of the staff themselves, which was... What? What were that helped what was it? What
0: stuff. made a cheeky chef or a cheeky employee? What were the attributes? So
1: we really were. Had? So I took all my staff away for after I bought the business um, of my thing. I took my the key staff, all of them actually, away for a conference, and we worked on our key values. And the the two key values were fun and professional. So if it was all, fun, you can't be all fun; otherwise, it's frivolous. You don't get anything mm-hmm. done. But if it's all professional, it's boring. And we're in the event engagement industry team building, fun, creating connections between people. So those two always had to go together. Um, So that had to be it. Then it was uh, warm and engaging. So people who could tell a story. I didn't want someone to go chasing bad debt and ring up someone and go, hey, you haven't paid your bill. I wanted someone to ring up and go, hey, it's such and such here from Cheeky Food Events. Look, just, I know you've probably forgotten it, but if you've got your credit card there, let's just get this done. Different... Everyone everyone had to be the same and, um, and they helped create those values. So therefore they lived by it. And the other thing was when they were involved in the recruitment process, they again would go to great um, extra effort to make sure someone was onboarded well. Mm. You know, all those got-a-minutes, that's what I struggle with now, how people are all working from home. The got a minute, if you got a minute, if you got a minute, if you got a minute, that's when you learn all the cultural cues and that's where your productivity goes up just by being able to walk past someone's desk and say, hey, you got a minute. Um, that's that's a big issue at the moment. But, um, mm-hmm. no, they kind of, they that was it. And you had to be able to problem solve on your feet. You know, you're standing there in front of 200 people on stage and you notice that five barbecues are alight at the back. You know, <laughs> about to set the curtains on fire. And oh, you know, you don't freak out. There's just there was just a definitely problem solving, smiling regardless, and yeah, and just and having a good laugh about it afterwards when it all gone wrong.
0: And just, Speaking yeah. of all going wrong, I I understand there's a story associated with you trying to sell a company and it failing. Can <laughs> can we move there now? So I think I've got a sense of the business and the culture. Yeah. Uh, but I understand you at some point reached a point where you wanted to sell and it and it didn't, it was not successful. So maybe no,
1: talk no. okay, a so little bit about that. There was a point where after I would reached my peak, the, the biggest of the business was, and then there were a couple of things that happened there for myself personally and for some other key staff. And it just went into a vortex. I nearly lost the business. Um, yeah, it was pretty. How much pretty revenue were you at at the time? Uh, I was at 3 million. Got it. Okay. And yeah, it just, everything just went to the dogs, lost a lot of staff. Um, you know, some of them I wouldn't necessarily reemploy for what the new business was that I was going to go with, but it was a really difficult time. And dollars were down. And I, I sort of, I think I, got, and I, I think I was at 12 years. Like it wasn't like I only just, you know, was giving up pretty early. I was at, you know, 12 years on. And I thought, well, do I really want to rebuild this again? That was the question. Do I want to rebuild this? No, actually, what I'd like to do is maybe look at merging or being bought out with someone. I still loved what I did, but I wasn't loving running the business, and that's. Oh, so many of us entrepreneurs, we're all enthusiasm, we're all great ideas. But then the reality of running a business, when we're taken away from what it is that we loved about what we started, is where the worst in us can, can come out. And that was something that I learned when we're at our pinnacle, when we're at the, the biggest, what I realized my staff took great joy in making sure that I didn't have to go to an event, that there are enough chefs to cover them all. But that was the bit that I loved the most. So the more I was away from what I loved, the the stupider I became as a manager and as a leader. Hmm. The worst in me came out. It just got dialed up. When you say stupid, what do you mean? Oh, just some of the stupid decisions, um, not really listening enough, uh, would just go and interrupt on stupid things. You know, I just, as a when I think back, the less needed I was, I was like a naughty child. You know, the less needed I was, like, hang on, hang on, Hang on, what about me? You know, like it was, you know, and they again, they, you know, they had a, like they had an office built that I was locked away in, so I didn't, you know, hear what was going on. And um, oh, God, bless them all. They, they were such fun people, but it went into a negative spin, and. Yeah, that was that was a pretty that was a pretty rough so old time.
0: I think a lot of people are listening to this kind of nodding their heads, maybe a little squeamishly. I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> the less needed you are. I just want you to finish that sentence, the, the more mm-hmm. disruptive you became because you yeah. wanted to feel needed. Is that am I getting
1: am I well, putting words yeah, in your mouth? I think, I think um I think that's pretty much it. I think the the less important. You are, like, that's, that, that's the point where, and I was looking at bringing in someone as a general manager, so it mm-hmm. wasn't the operations of the business. Like, you know, all the financial reporting, I'm a real numbers geek, like, whilst I'm highly creative, I'm also really numbers. And so all the reporting and all that kind of thing would just, you know, but eventually, whilst I love it for little bits, doing it full-time, the running of a business of that size um, with so many moving pieces, I, I wasn't enjoying that anymore. And then if I wasn't getting the hit of doing the reason why I started the business in the first place, which was throwing these fun cooking parties, then where was the joy? <clears throat> and if there's no like no joy, Leona is not a fun joy to be around Leona. You know, <laughs> like I was and, Got it. and the worst in your personality, everything just gets dialed up. So when everything's tickety-boo, the best of you get styled up. When everything's going south, the worst of you get styled up. And, so and as a manager, you learn how to take those edges off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, or at least That's, recognize uh, it in yourself yeah. when it's coming. So you reached 3 million in <clears throat> annual sales and you mentioned some things happened uh, to you personally but also in the business. Can well, keep personal stuff aside, but in the business do, can you point to anything any any one sort of thing that caused the business to start spiraling downward at that point?
1: Yep, there were two definitely two things. So one was we moved Office, so we lit, we mm. we burst out of. Remember, I was we had we had a cooking space, party space at the front, mm-hmm. and we were all on top of each other, like we were cramped. I kind of I, I, I was happy with it, but I know that the staff were getting. So we moved the offices over the road, literally. Uh, but all of a sudden, we'd gone from having the vibe of everyone screaming and yelling and cooking, and the door had open The soundproof door would open and, you know, you'd hear dancing queen going off. And then so that would lift everybody in the office as well and the sales process. And the uh, the possibility in the front, oh, what's that noise? Oh, that's just a party in action, you know, so you could conversion rate tick, you know, like there was all of that. I think there was, I think we moved and we lost a little bit of that. Um, And there was, you know, I was going through something personal at the time. And then there were, then there was a couple of key staff members and it just happened to be all at the same time, all Mm. gorgeous people, but just all things that kind of happened. And so I I did not step up as a leader and manage that. I just didn't, I just didn't even know how to step in. I was, I was in a bit of a world of pain on my own. And in the end, what I did was actually took myself off to a health retreat. And I remember booking myself in there for eight days over in Thailand and on day two, I'm just getting around rough and huffing and puffing and like, Rrr, this is all rubbish. And, and then day four, I just, I booked myself in for an extra 10 days. And it was the single best thing I've ever done. And so all of a sudden I could remember what it was like to be me, to be nice, to be fun, to be warm. And when I came back, a few more staff left, <clears throat> but I was just in the right headspace to manage that. I went, okay, that's fine. But and then I went along with that for a while. But then that was the decision then was do I want to keep doing this like this or do I want to build it again? And that was when I went out and so what happened? So almost my back, my background in sales and marketing, I was, a, I was a consultant to you know Microsoft helped launch Virgin Mobile here in Australia. <clears throat> so that's obviously my game. So when I packaged Cheeky up to go and sell, I remember, <laughs> I remember presenting it. And going, damn, this is a good company, you know. Like, and I literally sold it back to myself, like in a roundabout way. I talked myself back into it. But if I'd been given a really great offer, I would have gone, you know, I would have gone with that. But I wasn't. I was actually given an offer by someone who I knew quite well. That was actually quite insulting. But I wasn't. I didn't know enough to know that that was just part of the game, either. So I just kind of went screw you. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your thing, but screw you. I'm taking my business back. You just watch me. It is, and that that little that little fire that had been pretty much you know flame out for a while. Got you know, and so I started getting back more into. I've done a lot of NLP, um, coaching, training, and just myself on performance and leadership, and. And I just, and I got a really good couple of people into the company, and that really energized me. And I'm all about managing your energy levels and things, especially when that's our business. And um, and then I was I, I got to a point where I had a good little team, so I sold it back to myself, kept going, had a great little team, really enjoying it. <clears throat> you know, did some more big. Um, events. And I I had been in entrepreneurs organization. Funnily enough, I left entrepreneurs organization probably when I most needed them, Mm. which was when everything was in that downwards spiral. I think I just retreated. Um, And I know so many business owners, we just tend to go within ourselves because we don't even know how to say what we're feeling. You know, and partners and family and friends, I don't want to hear it. They don't even know what all of that. You don't even know how to say what it is that sure. you're going through, that you feel a bit of a failure and all that kind of stuff. So um, <clears throat> so I got the business. I decided to go on long service leave, which in Australia is uh, you basically get 10 weeks holiday after you've been working for a company for 10 years. So I just thought, right, I'm going to take 10 weeks leave, you know, and I'd, I'd had some pretty good holidays over the time. I wasn't a complete martyr. So I took 10 weeks. Wait, you, lost
0: me, you, you lost me a bit in the, in the story because you, you went on the health retreats, you, you yep. came back refreshed. You said, okay, I'm going to market the business. You got a crappy offer and you're like, I'm going to do yep. it. But you're like, thanks, but no, thanks. This is a great business. I'm going to do it myself. Um, so you're, you're full of energy. You're going to go market. I'm the business. Full of energy. About, what's the went on for retreat.
1: about another, went on for about another three years. Okay. And what I did, I'll tell you what I did. I, and I started getting serious about doing my triathlon, So I'm up and I'm training every morning. So my headset's clearer and <clears throat> I made a decision. I was really happy with just a couple of staff and then contractors. So I went from being 3 million to probably around about one, one and a half. And, and can I tell you, my profit was not quite as big, but the, my life 10 times happier. And that was a decision that I had to make. And I had to let, do you know what? You have to let go of the ego of what's my turnover. Oh, God, we just, yeah, I had to let go of that and make it more around what am I taking home? And I didn't really care too much. You know, as long as I had enough for a couple of overseas holidays a year and I could buy myself a new bike and I could, you know, I'm not I'm not someone who needs lots of brands and things around me. I'm a bit of a nature girl like that, so um, so I was happy. I was sitting sweet, and I went on this ten-week holiday. I did a half marathon around Uluru, where it's rock, and then went to Paris and Bali, and and then I was in Italy, and I noticed that the the sales was starting to go down anyway. And I was sitting there, one, and I was on my own at the time, and and I was on about my fifth Apérol Spritz, and you know, overlooking. <laughs> it was getting late. <laughs> And I'm looking at the numbers and I'm going, okay, this is a business model problem. This is not a salesperson's problem. This is a business model problem, which I always knew. So I'm sitting there on the back of the coaster just going, okay, so I'm going to have to spend blah, 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 do this, do this in order to build the business again and to solve this problem. Or I sell. And that was what, or I sell. And I went, oh, or I sell. Am I ready to sell? I've been loving the business the last two years. And I let that sit there, and then I let it sit for about two weeks for the coming holidays. And then I came. Then, as it, as I said, it, it grew. It grew, and I went, maybe it's time. It's seventeen years, and while you're enjoying it, leave as opposed to wait until you're in a negative space and then trying to sell it. And you know, and the turnover was okay. The profit was okay. Like there was, it was it was a it was it was sitting sweet. So I snuck back into Australia a week earlier than um, anyone knew about. <clears throat> Came in, got my laptops and everything, grabbed a flip chart, Airbnb to place an hour out of town, and just locked myself in and just did a whole bunch of what-if scenarios. You know, what if I built this? What if I got a business partner in? What if I merged? What if I sold? And then also the big one: who am I going to be if I don't have this business? Like the whole identity loss of, I had to sort of go around and that's a bit of another second story, but, and then I came out of that going, yes, I'm ready to sell. And I had a bit of a number in my head and and all, if I didn't get it, was I ready to walk away, just close the door and go and do something different.
0: I got so many I questions. Just, I'm going to stop you and start asking some questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me go. I want to go back
0: to the lowball offer. Uh, so when you bought out your partner, you're thinking three to four times earnings is fair. It's not yep. top end. It's not bottom end. It seems about fair for a service business, transactional service business. What was the lowball offer for in a multiple of earnings?
1: Are you, which, which offer are you talking about? Sorry. The
0: one where you said, you know, screw you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, oh, to fall back in love with my business. Was, it's worth-
1: that was about 0.2 earnings. <laughs> times earnings.
0: Yes. Okay. So yes. that's, that's easy to say no to. Like, but Let's
1: say I made a million, a million a year profit, which I wasn't, but let's say I made a million a year profit. They offered me 200,000.
0: Right. Got it. Okay. So that's easy to say no to. Yeah. I get that. Correct.
1: Yes. And so, so,
0: but it fired you up enough to, to sort of re-energize absolutely. you. Got it. Absolutely. Got it. So then you're at a million, million and a half ish, uh, mm-hmm. but almost as much profit as you were making, but 3 million in lifestyle was 10 X better than it was before. Cause you're, you got rid of a lot of the stuff. Okay, got it. So you got a couple of employees, and like, gosh, this is such an interesting story because I think so many people are on the revenue hamster wheel, right? Like their ego is definitely defined by how much revenue, and yeah. and that is a, that's still the way many entrepreneurs sort of know who's the most hey, important person <clears> in the room, right?
1: I was totally, I was totally guilty of it, mm. and. But there's a point there's a point where you know i did, i did a bit of personal development stuff along the way as well as you know when i did all of the nlp stuff and everything too but there's a point where you kind of i don't know it's a grow up grow up in a way and you you kind of start asking the bigger tougher questions and you got to kind of be ready to answer them of yourself too. And mine was, you know, was I happy? No, I wasn't. I was bloody miserable running that business for a while there. I loved what it was that we did, but I was miserable. Not miserable is a big tough word, but it just wasn't bringing me the joy of of doing it. And so, what are the options then? And and what do I need to what 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 I kind of got to do to make this work for me? And I. I just had to let go of the turnover and just make it more. And so what I, I did a couple of things. Number one, I, as some KPIs, like I put some KPIs around it. So did less of it. So I also, also the other thing that was happening in the industry, and I didn't expect to be in business this long because I thought as a typical product manager, product model, it'll get to about eight to 10 years and it'll start to flatten out, become a product price option. And that's it. Cause we're actually, we're like three times the average price of what anyone else was doing in the industry. Hmm. So, which was quite different to what your book was saying. So we, so we, we were, a lot of the stuff that we did was quite customised, like 95% was the same thing, but it was the 5% cream on top that we did that people paid those multiples of to have us back again or the high, like 78% of our business was referral. So what I did was I set the KPI, less events but bigger events, and they're the mm. ones that I enjoy more. Guess So guess who was able to convert more, you know, leads to, to sales and then get involved in. And so the things that I really loved, I brought back into the business more. And at the end of the day, if and then I was right back in the business. I was 100% hands-on. Um, and if I'm going to be there, it has to be something that's going to be because we are the, I'm sorry, I'm probably talking about, I know that I'm the barometer of the business. And I would try and stop myself every time I'd walk in, you know, what, you know, am I bringing an argument I had, you know, or something into the, into the business today. And I just have to, you know, a bit like you saw me this morning when we first started talking, you know, 35am in the morning, chippy chirpy. I had to make a decision <laughs> yep. to be, you know, like, am I going to, am I going to be someone who's just draped their ass out of bed and just turns up for this? No, I'm not. That's disrespectful. So I'm going to, Put some lippy on. Try and do the five-month-old hair that's never been interesting <laughs> <laughs> Coming out of lockdown, and, and 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 that was what I did. I so love I Australians
0: because cra- you always have crazy names for stuff, like cheeky do? and lippy, and
1: like <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't. I
0: love it. I love it. like we, All right.
1: like we can't get the full words out. We've just got <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm with you so far. So you you had this sort of uh, awakening. I'll I'll call it sounds a mm-hmm. little er- too yeah, frou right. but how waking yeah. up some sort, where you, you came to the decision that a smaller business, but one you love was more important than a bigger business. And, and so you decided though to sell while mm-hmm. you were on top. Let's talk about that. Did you have, before you went through the selling process, did you have a sense of what you thought was a fair price for the business? Uh, either on a multiple of earnings or revenue, or like what? Like, it, like did, did you have a sense of like what your number was? Did you know what it
1: was? Yeah, I had look, I had a, I, oh, you know, I'd love to say that I had a multiples of, but I probably had more a dollar figure. Um, what was that based on? All, nothing. <laughs> I'd love to say, I thought there was just sort of like, you know, what, 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 what can I live on for two years? Because my plan was, this is the trick. This is, this is what I, I spent a lot of time working on my head, my headset, my mindset for this. Um, and who did I, I do a lot of that be, do, have, do you guys, do you, you. No, I've never heard of
0: be, do, have, what is that?
1: Oh, okay. So, you know, what have I got to do? I've got to sell my business. Okay, what have I got to do to do that? You know, I've got to get my figures in place. I've got to do, 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 do these things. What do I need to have around me? I need to have a really good accountant. I need to have a good business consultant. I need to have this blah, 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 whatever it is. Okay, who do I need to, this is the bit that everyone forgets, is who do I need to be to be the person who's going to attract and have engaged business consultants and accountants who are then going to help me do these things and do them well rather than just drag them along and get them done not just gonna do, but done. That's probably an Australian one, gonna do, I don't know, but going to do. And, and I spent a lot of time, I need to be the person who's ready to have my business. People are gonna pick it apart. I need to be someone to, who's gonna look at my numbers and go, oh, look at your, look at your ratio here of your cogs to yourself. I just needed to be the person who did not give a toss about that. I need to be a person who was ready to sell their baby. I need to be a person who was ready to let go. And also I was fairly well known in our industry. You know, like I'd walk into a room and people would just go, hey, cheeky. A lot of people didn't even know my name. People thought I was the business, but I wasn't in many ways. But in which is a danger. That's another whole conversation in mm-hmm. terms of who you are in your business when it comes to selling. So the number was more about, I want to just take my foot off this 17 year pedal. I want to give my headset a break. I wanted to put a flower behind my ear and go and hang out in a combi van or go and hang out in Bali. And how much did I need to go and do that for a couple of years? That was pretty much, it was all about who I wanted to be in the next, the next realm. And then
0: when you identified that number and then in the cold light of day with what you know about the numbers, how did the the accounting side of the math side mm-hmm. of you compare that number that you needed for two years of, of living on your own to, to what it was probably actually worth. Were they close or. Uh, yeah,
1: Like there, there was a point where I had to ask myself, yeah, it was relatively close. It was relatively close. I think, you know, he might've thought that he paid a little bit more. I might've thought, Oh, I might be, I could have got a little bit more like, you know, you never know in those negotiations. Um, but I was very clear on why I was selling, very, very clear. And I was very clear of who I needed to be in that process. And I, because I'm, because you can, like, honestly, I can't tell you how many times I, you sabotage things. You know, us as entrepreneurs, we set up these little roadblocks. Like, I remember the last time when I sold, when I bought at my business partner, I remember sitting there and just going, What am I doing? We were arguing over one recipe with three ingredients. They probably cost us $1,000 each in lawyer's fees. And it was just BS. It was just ego. And it was, oh, I don't want to be that person again. Like, that's just rubbish. And I'm, I'm also like 15 years older. Seriously, please don't be that same person. You think you've grown up a little bit. And so there was the other decision I had was, was I ready to walk away and just close? Big, that's a big one. Because the other thing that was happening as well was where I housed my business. That building was literally being pulled down. So a question was: Was I ready to go and start another lease somewhere? Because I had to house, you know, these five hundred knives and pots. Oh, you see all the
0: knives, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, and then I had to have space for a bit of a kitchen. So it wasn't it wasn't like just renting another office for three months, you know, like it was. And I had I had to bring the business into my home. It was pretty okay. Horrible. So
0: you're so you're going through the the list of things that you need to be, um, you need to be ready to let go. You need to be ready to sell. Um, you need to be, uh, carefree. Like if, if it doesn't happen, that's okay. Mm -hmm. What was your, you know, negotiating theorists it talk about a BATNA, right? Like a best alternative to negotiate agreement, meaning like your Plan B. Did if you had not sold the business, would you have closed the doors and and got nothing for it, or would did you have a Plan B? Were you prepared to continue to, to yeah, operate? it?
1: I well, I was prepared to. I gave myself a bit of a time frame that I would prepare to operate for about the the next year, um, but I would go back and look out into the market for potential mergers. Because that was one plan. of the down that was my plan B. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And Got then it. potentially look at walking away. Because once I'd set my head, once I set my my focus was on who do I want to be for this next part of my life, it was then the letting go of that heart connection to my business. Became much easier, and people are like, honestly, because because I was so well known in the, in the industry and attached to this business. People, are like, oh, what are you gonna do? You know, oh, you know, I might just go. <laughs> I might just do nothing for a little while, <laughs> just and and I was really, literally, quite open to to whatever that might be. And once you release all those strings that that make us that can make that can cause us to make some pretty unnecessary decisions or make things more difficult than they need to be. So, you know, the negotiation. So here's a story about the negotiation over the number. This is a true story. There's a bloody TED talk in this for sure. But I was, we were literally, we we went to an event. Sorry,
0: this is the actual sale of your company? This is the actual
1: sale. Okay. This is how we actually came to the number. We were literally, um, the, the person who's bought it, um, we were actually at an event down in, uh, at this place, at this hotel resort, and then I we've got to go and get some more food. So we go out and I said, do you want to stop for some lunch? And we're having fish and chips. So in Australia, fish and chips near the beach is a, you know, it's a big thing and the, the, it's all deep fried, it's bad for your heart, but all deep fried and it comes wrapped up in paper, okay, and then you just sit there and open it up. And and, and then I realised we were doing the deal. We were doing the numbers. I, I realised we were really, this is it. And we were literally writing out numbers on the paper that were the fish and chip was the fish and the chips were wrapped in. And that was what we did. And then he just stood up, called his bank. And that was how it started.
0: Okay. So the fish and <laughs> chips wrapper gets, this is quite a story. So we, un, we unravel the fish.
1: We unravel the, chips, the fish.
0: And what are the numbers you're scribbling on the newspaper?
1: We're literally scribbling the numbers that he's going to buy it out for.
0: Okay. So did he write the first number down? He must've asked you
1: how much yeah, revenue you Yeah, I'm trying to remember, generated. you know. I think, I think he was trying to get me to say it first. I think I asked him. I think I wouldn't budge on that one. I and honestly so, can't remember. I can't remember. I literally can't remember. But, but what did was, he have a
0: what, sense of how much revenue you had, how much profit you yeah, had? Yeah, he because- had
1: all my... He'd, he and the accountant had gone through all my figures, and I had a, I had a chat with his accountant direct, and I tell you what, if ever you're doing this, that would be I'd, like I would strongly recommend that because I I got a lot of the um what the accountant was ultimately going to approve, not just what he he wanted. Why, sorry why why would the accountant have any approval? So the accountant of uh, oh, probably shouldn't say this because we're all in the same industry, but the, the accountant sort of revealed that if if there was able to be a little bit of a payout period, not just money upfront he would probably almost rubber stamp it because it was a good business. You know, it was a good business. The numbers all added up. So that was in my head about how to make this work. And I think we were both around similar numbers. So I think it was the multiples of around, again, that three or four. And I think we were both in the similar area. So it wasn't like, you know, he was saying, I'm only going to give you a million, and I'm saying I want 10 million. I mean, it wasn't those sort of numbers, but it was, but it, we weren't that far off. And so we literally did the whole thing in about 15 minutes. And I and and, and I when I because when I packaged up the business to sell and I created about eight different proposals with eight different you know, marketing and sales background. So that if I went to a hotel who might want to buy me, if I went to an events company, he might want to buy me, if I went to a direct competitor. If I went to someone else, you might want to merge. I had all different benefits and all different ways that when you combine the overheads, how this was going to mean massive, way bigger profits than what I was able to get on my own, just managing all the overheads. And so he already had the figures and it, it all adds up. There was nothing wrong with the figures. It, it, was, you know, it was a good business. So we just did that really quickly. And I didn't fuss because I was very clear on what my end game was. I was very clear, do, do I need to be a real, okay, bitch about this and just start to go to try and get an extra 10, 20, 30, 50 grand or whatever? No, just get this done. And I can't tell you how many times there are other people I speak with and everything where we can all start arguing over things that really just does that really matter? And so if you're really clear on what the end game is, this is what I found for me anyway, this worked for me, the clarity I had, had around what is it that I really want and why, that becomes the magnet, not the dollar figure. So you can, the dollar figure can, you know, fudge around, but if you're just hanging on for that last 10K, so the, the business starts to flounder as well. You know, like it was really a struggle, me having to run the business literally in my lounge room. Because I didn't have an What was the anymore. magnet? What, what was it that you wanted to go to? Freedom. Freedom. So I'd had a business 17 years. And like, like I was mentioning before, you know, you're all full on in operations. And I mean, I'm flying around with 50 crates of cooking gear. Like it was, it was a thing. Um, or you're all over, you know, marketing and sales constantly. You just had to have a barrage of leads coming in. And I just needed to rest my head. I think was what it was for me and just, and not put any, um, expectations. It took me about a year until I realized I was breathing differently. Hmm. Like where I was, at, and I went, it, it took that long. It really took that long to You're just
0: me take a big, deep breath right now. Into nose <laughs> <after that.
1: laughs> well, let's get our morning for me. Let's get our morning then <laughs> oh. on
0: but So, let me ask you this. So what are you guys scribbling on the newspaper fish and ship stand? I'm assuming you're, you're, cause you're pretty close on the multiple. Are mm-hmm. you now scribbling out sort of payout terms? Like I'll pay this amount up front and this amount in three months, six months. Like, Was that what you guys yeah, were kind so of negotiating? We, I
1: think we talked about it at that point. It was like, well, basically kind of what it was without, you know, giving away anything. Cause you know, we're both in the same industry and, and I'm really respectful of what they're doing. Um, I just said if you give me sixty percent upfront, and then the other forty percent gets paid out over ten months. I don't think there's any problem in saying what that was. We're not linked to profits or anything like that. Got it. Got it. It was
0: just strictly and, a time based payment schedule.
1: Yeah, and that was all part of. And so with the contract, that was all. That was all a massive part, you know, of the contract. What happens if he defaulted? Yeah. What was your recourse if he defaulted on that? Ah. Uh, his house.
0: Okay. Did he did he come clean and pay the forty percent?
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. and yeah, like you know, I'm not like. I just feel for like because on the I got my last payment. Talk about someone looking out for me. I got my last payment on one March, and then the world closed on the seventeenth of March. Oh my gosh! Wow. How's that? How's that? Because I know his, his business. The business had to close. For a long time until they figured out some virtual options. And so, you know, I was very, I felt I did my hard yards and then I was that so that would that that could have got a bit iffy if we'd gone into that me trying to get money during that COVID period. Um yeah. Yeah. But like luckily we didn't have to go there. And so that's that hard yards
0: is another good Aussie term, a reference, to gravy, I think, or Australian rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't uh, say hard yeah, yards here, it. but it's uh, great. It just means the tough work that goes. Yeah, I'll tell you the Aussies. other
1: thing that I, that I reckon I did well, um, some things I didn't, one thing I did did well was I went for everything I wanted in that. Like, so I did the first heads of agreement.
0: Okay. Heads of agreement would be like a term sheet. The for term folks, sheet. In North yeah. America. yeah.
1: And so I put in there, you know, how many hours I would work in the business um, after the sale after the sale and, and, you know, uh, restrain a trade, all that kind of thing. And there was no, there was no question marks on a lot of it. So definitely be the first one I think would be if someone asked me, do you wait for them or not? I'd say, put in what you want. And I knew what I would budge on and I knew what I wasn't going to budge on. And what were and your hard lines out, in the
0: sign Like what were you not prepared to budge on?
1: Um, how long I was going to be in the business for
0: personally working in his business effectively yep. at that point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How long did you agree to stay on?
1: Oh, it was literally 80 hours. Cause I thought it's, it. A, it, you know, I'd, cause I'd got it, you know, I'd listened to your book and I would, I read your book <laughs> and everything. So I was pretty good at creating processes and everything. So there was a lot that was there. Um, and so I just had to sort of take them through how to do, you know, the, the sales and marketing because it's quite a unique product. What's unique about that? Uh, P&Ls, where you can really lose money, where you can make money. There were, and That's just from learning from all my screw-ups over the years of where I'd lost and made. Um, and, and the reality was is that was kind of it. It didn't need to be much longer. And what, I've, what I what learned when I talk with every other person who's, you know, run a business and then stayed in it, um, after they've sold was that they never they most of them don't end up working out the full time. True. Things start to go pear shape because you know, you're the owner. You were the owner of the for so long and you know I didn't I want to be out no and I could hear myself I could hear myself getting nitpicky when I was in there. So when I was released halfway along I just went fabulous. I think that's yeah, a good, a good
0: Yeah. You mentioned Thank you. Thanks for the subtle plug for the book, but you you mentioned that you did read Built to Sell, and that you built some pro Just describe what you what kind of processes you built so that you could leave eighty hours after you'd sold it. That seems like a so
1: pretty crazy thing. Uh, it wasn't. So, it was just that. So because I'm a bit of a spreadsheet queen and in operations, and we had so many checklists and things. So you know, and you know, the whole thing. You know, we were talking before about you know. Vern Harnish and all that, all that kind of thing, and so I learned a few things along the way. Gone lots of things, and so I did get some um, uh, a lot of processes in place. What I got from your book was around the fact that whilst it was a service, and the perception to the outside world was that it was a very customized service, the reality was it was a product that was replicated over and over again, and. And you kind of talked about that in your book and it kind of challenged me because I was very proud of the fact that we were, we always did something different for each one. And we kind of did, but the reality was that the the guts of it was the same. If you've got 25 people, you're going to need X amount of chefs, you need X venue, you need X amount of onions, that many capsicums, you need that many burners, that many frying pans. And so... And that, and what I would often say to the chefs, I think, like, oh, Leona, all these checklists, you know, and I'd make them tick off every little potato peeler they'd <laughs> packed, and and um, and I said, but this is what sets you free. This allows you to be creative when you're there on site and to be a party thrower, not a not a And so that was kind of how I. And I think that made it as a business that bit easier to sell, and then also because my name will be forever attached to that business. You know, I started it and ran it for 17 years. Um, you know, you want it to be successful as well. So the, the easier it is for them to take it up and to keep it rolling. And then they'll obviously morph it into their own thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That was part of the yeah. letting go. That was part of being able to let it go. I
0: love it. Um, I want to ask you kind of a weird question, but I think it, it's relevant. And okay. it it sounds like you've done a lot of work. You referenced NLP. I've heard of NLP a bunch, and I know it's it's like it's related to language and how you talk and self talk, mm-hmm. and that's about the extent of which I know about it. But I, I do know a lot of people who very successful people that that are big proponents of it. So I'll just say that much. You've also done a lot of retreat. It seems like you've done a lot of work on yourself and the, the mm-hmm. your, you know. The, all the, the stuff that you've done, if there were one resource that you think entrepreneurs would benefit from, and I'm thinking of like a book they could read or, a, you know, like something that that would be helpful for them to do some of the self-reflection, is there is there one resource you might point people to?
1: I tell you who I thought was a trigger for a lot of lot of this and for getting me to think, you know, am I being a bitch about this situation or am I just being the boss or am I, you know, and so do you know Cameron Herald? Yeah. I I mean, I don't know him personally,
0: but I, but I know why he had junk and yeah.
1: Yeah. So he came out. Yeah. So he came out to Australia. He came out to Australia a couple of times and with entrepreneurs organization, we had a retreat and he just basically ran the whole retreat. It wasn't bits and pieces of different speakers, he was the speaker. He ran it. And he talked a lot about the mindset of an entrepreneur and the the ups and the downs of it. And, And understanding where you're at your best and when you're at your worst and what the activities that you should be doing and when you need to retreat, when you need to retreat from the business and just like if you're in a really bad funk, do not go into the office. Um, And he even got down to the point where, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs can be a little bit um, to the point of being, you know, bipolar or a bit like up and down. Manic in some
0: ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A little bit manic, manic. and, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's all about taking off the bottom and then taking off the top and getting back out of the bottom quicker. And I really took a lot of that on board and, to the point where I came back and I said to my second in command, I said, "If ever I get to a point where you think I'm being really detrimental to the business, and I'm not listening to you, like everyone had my credit cards anyway to, to buy stuff for the business," and I said, "But just book me somewhere. <laughs> just you, you have my so if it gets to that point, so I so basically what I was doing was giving trust to someone that if I was if I'd got myself caught in a bit of a whirl, and I was not." been of any service to anyone in fact I was being right the opposite get me out of here just book me somewhere for a weekend even or for a week and and we had that discussion we had a pretty honest discussion there it didn't have to get used but it certainly it certainly got me thinking about whoever you are at home is who you show up at work. And whoever you are at work is who you show up at home. And you just bring the good and the bad and the ugly. <clears throat> it's just one big flow. You think you're masking it, but you're not. You know, we think we are. We think we're great actors, but we're just, we, we can only do it for so long. And then when we've got the pressures of what's going on for us, that's when the cracks start to show. You know, we start snapping at staff. We start snapping at the dog. You know, <laughs> Our families. And why doesn't everyone understand? No, they don't understand. It's not their job to understand. It's our job to understand us and to make the best of us for the environment that we're creating as a business and then for our families and then for ourselves. And that was what I took away a lot of that from that
0: conference. That's fantastic. Great suggestion. So Cameron, Cameron Harold With an O. O of 100. Yeah, CLO Alliance. Jumped. Yeah. And then he moved on and he's, I think he's written a book as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So you could check him out online. We'll put, uh, we'll put links to Cameron's stuff in the show notes. Um, Leona, where can like tell me about what you're up to Uh, it? Can people reach out to you anywhere if they wanted to uh, say hi on social media, for example, or is there a website? like What's what, tell us about what's going on.
1: So, as I said, I wanted to put the flower behind my ear and just take off to Bali, but COVID hit. So I <laughs> put the flower behind my ear and sat in my lounge room. Um, so what I've been doing, I've been way through writing a book oh, cool. on all of my 100 short stories kind of thing, sort of the funny, the irreverent, the, the what the moments, of which yeah. are many. Um, I've also been getting more into speaking as well so you know how to energize teens the things i've learned from world-class chefs that you can like how they just run a kitchen like mm. the pressure that ma- imagine being someone who gets google reviewed every day publicly
0: i can't like, just I've imagine honestly, that in your yeah, head
1: yeah you know and then what you can learn from the, and their operational excellence and take into the corporate or thing. but also because i've worked on corporate and as an entrepreneur There's a lot that entrepreneurs can learn from the corporate market, like their ability to create infrastructure to use that to scale is gold. Us entrepreneurs, we fight that mostly to the nth degree because we want to be free-flowing and we want to be able to innovate on on a term, but that's the stuff that, and that's great for the first two or three years, but then where most of us tend Sorry, this is just me saying most of us, but just from all my conversations with a lot of other business owners as well, that's where we tend to screw it up because we fight putting that infrastructure in, which is what our staff need or investors need. They need to see that that's where the scale for growth just doesn't happen. That's where a lot of us fall over. So I talk a little bit about that and also what I've learned from triathlons and what I, as self-leadership and as a leader, you know, dodging the sharks on the ocean swims and everything. And then what all that that I took into the business, 100%, I learned so much and then I just took that straight into the business. So I do different speaking on that and then also do some, funny enough, I do some business coaching, but nine times out of ten, the business coaching is obviously with entrepreneurs or leaders. It ends up mostly being personal coaching.
0: Hmm, Interesting.
1: Because we are dialed. I, I think there's a thing when you're a bit of an entrepreneur is that, You know, the perfectionism kicks in, which is just a cleverly disguised procrastination. That's what it is. It's just very cleverly disguised. Um, And it also sets up a lot of things for everyone else that just makes no one else feel good enough around you as well, which means you lose good stuff. So I tend to work with a lot of people around a lot of a lot of that. And that's when I bring a lot of the NLP training, like loads of NLP. The great thing just on that about NLP is that if you ever get a chance to do any training around it. So I did ones that were specific to performance, leadership, money, money, your mindset around money, um, it's great because you actually practice with each other. Mm. And so you uncover so much of your own beliefs that are based really on nothing or what your parents told you. And then you take that through and it's like, you know, and then you kind of got to decide to let that go and create something new. That's what I'm going to
0: get better educated about an I feel like I'm talking out my ass when I talk about it. So I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm going to get educated on it. Leona, where do people reach you? Is it, are you like a LinkedIn oh, yeah. <clears throat> or? So Leona,
1: no. so it's just leonawatson.com is the, my website. And it's Great. just leona at leonawatson.com. Uh, I've just got a Facebook page. That's my personal and my work one all bundled in together because I kind of I am the brand now, which is kind of an interesting, very interesting, oh, a little bit. It takes a little bit to get your head around that. You know, imagine phoning up to someone and saying, hey, you need to hear about me. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. a little bit fabulous. You know, like, oh, yeah. it's just got its own cringe. Um, yeah. So that's where that's pretty much where you can find me.
0: Awesome. Leona oh, and Watson. LinkedIn,
1: LinkedIn, LinkedIn, obviously. Yeah.
0: And we'll put all that in the show notes at builtthesell.com. Leona, thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you. It's been quite good going a little bit down memory lane and um, remembering the the good, the bad, and the ugly.
0: <laughs> it was there fun was some, for sure. There was,
1: some, there was some definite uglies in there, but hey, it's all part of the journey, huh?
0: Hey, if you liked today's episode, you're going to love my new book, The Art of Selling Your Business. The book was inspired by the cohort of my guests over the years who have been able to negotiate an exit far better than the benchmark in their industry, sometimes two or three times more than I would have expected. I was curious to understand the tactics and strategies of these entrepreneurs and what they do differently from average performers. The result is a playbook for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. To learn more, go to builttosell.com slash selling, where we put together a collection of gifts for listeners who order the book. Just go to builttosell.com slash selling. Built to Sell Radio is produced by Haley Parkhill. Our audio and video engineer is Dennis Labataglia. If you like what you've just heard, subscribe to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Just go to builttosell.com. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.